It is election day in the Empire of Lies. It's time for the show that brings you more interesting conversations because we believe in free speech, open debate, and a variety of opinions. I'm Lee Stranahan. It's Jason Goodman on Truth Tuesday as a co-host today. And this is The Backstory. So how you doing, Jason? Pretty good, Lee. I was assaulted the other day. Yeah, outside Twitter? Yep. Uh, you, you have an update on that? Yes, actually. You know, I, I recorded on my iPhone 39 minutes of it, and I've been going through the footage. I've transcribed what was said. There are multiple elements of evidence there which indicate the people who attacked me were coordinating with or perhaps hired by Elon Musk's security. They were speaking to them and said certain things to them that were recorded on my video. And you're not being conspiratorial there. It would make sense that Elon Musk would have multiple layers of security, right? It makes sense to me, and certainly having some people there who don't look like UFC fighters or Marine Corps, uh, you know, fighters, having people who just blend in would make sense. And again, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying I see evidence that suggests that that could have happened. Now, and I'm looking we have into a it special further. show today because it's election day. So we have yeah. two ho- hosts in one half hour because you're on as the co-guest co-host through the whole show. But in the first hour, we have the great Carmine Savior joining us. And he's normally our Carmine Monday co-host. But he's got a lot of info about what's going on in New Jersey. Have you heard what's huh. going on in New Jersey? Well, not today. What is going on in New Jersey? Machines aren't working. Oh, interesting. That's really interesting, isn't it? But trust voting machines. But they sometimes right. don't work. So we'll talk to Carmine <laughs> about that. And then in the second hour, the great author and writer Tom Nichols will be talking about what's going on in Pennsylvania, but also some history that's very interesting. Always go when Tom's on. And of course, we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Jason, would you do the honors of taking us to the boom, please? Certainly, Lee. This is the backstory. Well done. So in, in other news, apropos of nothing, uh, I think I'm divorced now. And I say I, I say I think because I'm going to make a weird analogy. When I was subpoenaed by the U.S. Congress, do you remember that? I was subpoenaed by them. Vaguely, what was the outcome there? I, don't, I can't say told, that I do recall the details of that. Well, it's probably only vaguely because you never saw me testify in front of Congress, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Was so this something to do with was, Lucifer 2.0? Yes, it, and it had to do okay. with Adam Schiff. You can read, if you read Roger Stone's testimony in front of the uh-huh. House Intelligence Committee, right? Adam Schiff asked about me. They were interested in me at that point. So they subpoenaed me, but I did not see the subpoena, Jason. Do you know why? (laughs) Um, uh, Probably because you left to go to South Dakota for the divorce? No, 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 no. It's easier than that, and it's a little weird. Or eyesight. When you get subpoenaed, how do you think they serve you? 
I would have thought no, I I'd get a knock on the door. server. Yeah. And, right. And a person shows up and says, you've been served. Take these papers. Right. But, but no. Right. Huh. I found out in the paper that uh, they've oh. been trying to subpoena me. Hmm. And they said they emailed me a subpoena. So huh. I called Roger Stone and I said, I'm seeing in the paper they're trying to subpoena me. When they subpoenaed you, did they email you or a process server? And I thought I was going to say, well, of course, a process server. But he said, no, they, they emailed me. Wow. So that's where it went. You know how email mail? works? Yeah. It went to my spam. Right. I did not see the email. <laughs> Congress sent me a subpoena, but my email... Uh, provider thought it was spam. Hmm. And so wow. it hid it in my spam drawer. And so when I checked my spam drawer, sure enough, there it was. So well, what I'm saying is you'd think something like being subpoenaed for Congress, they'd make it clearer to you. Does that make sense, Jason? Well, you think that they would have an apparatus in place. to? I mean, what did they do before email? How are they not engaging in the use of process servers to serve people to appear. I mean, it's just a joke. It's weird. And so like that, I would think that I would have had to sign something and there'd be some sort of big to do. I'm divorced mm. after 20 something years of marriage. That's a big yeah. life change. But I, I think what it is, is my wife's, I think my ex-wife's lawyer sent me an email and said, that's all filed now. So we're, we're done, basically. <laughs> so all major transactions for you, Lee, are happening on email and going directly to spam. <laughs> right. And so I'm, I'm saying that I think I'm divorced, but yeah. it, it seems like it should be. I, I feel like fireworks or something should have gone off. At least right. a small pop, something. Does it New make sense? On Twitter? Yeah, we can get you some new badge on Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> right, because I, I don't feel any different. And right. At this point— There's got to be some relief, though, no, Lee? Some sense of relief? It's over. It's ended. The, the, the legal exactly. part is— Oh. I once interviewed the musician Todd Rundgren, and he oh, had done a music him. video called Change Myself. That he had, Right. He'd written the song, he played it, and remember— he animated video the toaster. video. Yes, yes, yes. Did you help him learn how to use Lightwave 3D? Yes, and it was a lot of work. Uh -huh. Oh, wow, that's cool. So I asked him, I interviewed him, and I said, how did you feel after having accomplished that? Yeah. And I expect he'd say, great, because he's a hugely creative person. And he's doing, yeah. you know, musician, producer, yep. animator. It was his idea. And do you know what he told me? What? He said, I didn't feel anything. I was just kind of huh. tired. Wow. <laughs> well, that's odd. I mean, doesn't he also like sometimes play all the instruments on the album? Is that him? Or yes, no? they played all the instruments on the song. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I would think since I'm not that accomplished a person that I'd feel awesome if I'd mm. done something that creative. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? But I, For him, I'm it was no big whoop. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking about it. And I, I understand 
where he might just feel tired. Well, it's a lot of work. That may be it. So the the yeah. way I feel through the divorce is I'm just kind of tired. It, it's yeah. no relief. I'm not relieved exactly. Right. Because uh, I'm not happy about it, but I'm not sad not about it either. It's just over. Sure. Well, it's almost like if a if a safe fell on your leg and crushed it, you know, yes. once you escaped, even if you didn't have your leg, there'd be some relief because at least now you're escaped. And sure, you lost your leg. That was terrible. But you escaped and now you can carry on. So that's what I mean. It's kind of like that kind yes. of relief. Yeah, kind of. But yeah. mostly I'm just like, you know, I, I talked about it openly, but when I was in the mental ward for a week, when this yeah. first went down, yeah. they the doctors told me, they said, I described to them what was going on with me. And the doctors mm-hmm. would just shake their heads and say, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. You got a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. And but you I don't said, need to be there much. is what they determined, right? They said you're just under right. tremendous stress and maybe go home and relax a little bit. Right, right. And I described all stress financially. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was. And emotionally, it's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Everything else, and they just yeah. shook their head and said, "Yeah, that's a tough, tough one. Yeah, you got a lot of problems." So <laughs> I still have a lot of those problems. You know, my finances, right. my credit rating is very bad right now. Yes. And the way you fix that, it's not hard to fix it, but it's just a lot of work. You've got and time. Get starter credit cards and you you know what I'm saying Jason it takes a long time my cousin had a problem with this as well it took years yes and so i'm kind of starting that process now right well that's what i mean but, at least you're starting like but when you're in a mess like that it's like a bottomless pit and you're just constantly falling toward the bottom and again yeah. i'm not trying to minimize it at all because it is very bad but what's happened now is you've hit the bottom and you're starting to crawl out of the pit so at least that's progress. You're past halfway, and in, in trying to you know look at the positive aspects, at least you're on your way to hopefully a more positive resolution in the future. Yeah, that's why I said I don't feel bad about it, but I don't feel yeah. relieved. Right. I'm not doing a exactly. not like jubilant over here. Right, I get it. <laughs> right. So let's yeah. go to calls two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. The great owl killer is with us. Owl killer. Hello. What is on your owl killer mind? <laughs> did you li- uh, did you happen to catch David Ike on uh, Infowars today? It was a no. I I did not. Yeah, it was a great hour segment. You know that he was supposed to be speaking in the Netherlands, um, or you know, in in defense of the um, farmers that are being shut down by these oh. economic uh, foreign policies. No, they labeled him a terrorist level three, which means yeah, so a terrorist level one in the European Union is basically the people that actually carry out the uh, terrorism. Two is the people that support it, and three are like the idea makers. You know what I mean? Like oh, the, whatever. Wow. Somebody, yeah. So he's basically restricted to England from what he said. Now, wow. It, you know, did, by, by idea makers, you mean people who. Speak their minds exactly. and tell the truth. So, did, now you can, uh, Jason. Go. You can go ahead and pull this up if you want. Um, Sweden ended Agenda Twenty Thirty. 
and there's a huge backlash oh. against it. Yeah, they ended Agenda 2030. Um, you know, um, you know, for the uh, for the man-made global warming garbage. That basically, they said we're done with this because they elected in uh, hardcore, uh, like not like even more hardcore than uh, Bolsonaro down in uh, Brazil because even he didn't pull out of it. Um, they're expecting Italy to to do the same thing. We'll see how that works with them in the European Union. Um, he brought up. He and also, by the way, the woman who's the extreme right winger who's running Italy now, she's not that extreme, you know. Just normal. Yeah. Right, but they call her extreme to keep her in her place. But she she does not impress me with her extremity. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, not at all. Could be misconstrued, but I, I like it. <laughs> Oh, and, you know, we were talking about Carrie Lake. Um, she was asked by a reporter, this is what I mean. Like, she's, this is how I wish Trump was. She was asked, oh, are you going to run with Trump? There's, you know, Trump's supposed to announce next week that he's going to run for office, blah, blah, You know, you're uh, a front runner to be his VP. He's like, what? She's like, are you new to this? Are you new to the media? Because I just answered this yesterday. I'm going to do two terms, I'm going to be here for eight years, and I'm going to be your worst nightmare and make you guys journalists again. Like, the, Who said that? I would... Carrie Lake. Um, it's on oh. uh, Twitter handle. Um, but oh, nice. It's one of the best clips I've ever heard. Like, that is what... That is how you need to come at these people. Like, bring it on... You know, just turn everything upside down. Turn it back on them. Because they clearly don't believe what they're saying. Because they wouldn't ask the same repetitive question. It's just about that sound bite. It's it, it's like when they were asking Trump that white supremacist garbage. It was about Chris Wallace asking the same question in 2016 that he asked him in 2020 during the debate. You knew the answer, but what they were trying to do is it, it's about that sound bite that it gives uh, valid validation to the question as it was actually asked. And you know he he Trump had the inability to turn it on them. The, the way that Carrie Lake does. Uh, David, I-, I, I think in Trump's case, let me say this. And Jason, do you agree that often Trump is not bound by the conventions of what we call normal politeness, social conventions? Right. Yeah. Would you say that's part of it? It is, and that's part of his appeal. It's funny as hell to witness. <laughs> yes. Because... Not even that. People aren't asking. People aren't using asking. They're used to seeing interviews with a reporter and a politician, and the politician right. never pushes back against the reporters because it's rude, right? It's rude to say to the person, "No, let's ask you a question." But Trump gives zero. You know what? Right. Yeah, I love it when Leslie Stahl was telling him, oh, Mr. President, we can't broadcast that. We're 60 minutes. There's no evidence. He's like, Leslie, what are you talking about? It's all over the place. <laughs> I crack up when I watch Trump. <laughs> no, but I, but I mean, like, he couldn't. I feel like there were times where he was dynamite. And then there are other times where it's like, no, 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 I'm the best. I'm the best. But I look at my record and be like, I just done so much great stuff. But like he would get boxed in and get really defensive. Where Carrie Lake anticipates the questions and she throws it right. Like I, I think she has a unique talent. Um, but anyways, uh, I wanted to get into David Ike was talking about DeSantis, and you know he hit it. He hit it out of the park. He said Trump talks and DeSantis does. 
He's like, and then, you know, Lee, we were talking about that yesterday, that DeSantis, like everything we wanted from Trump, he does on a state level. But, but he also brought up Elon Musk, and I'm with him on this. Everything that the New World Order pushes, everything that the globalists push, Elon's involved in. And at the end of it, every, it's at from brain chips to the self-driving cars to the pushing the, the micro-houses. Um, to be in the minimalist, because, you know, he supposedly doesn't have any... So I'm into all those things, too. So so I'm part of New World Order, apparently, because I happen to think that tiny houses are cool, and I think minimalism <laughs> is a good philosophy. Is that it? What has he done? Besides by Elon Musk? Done. Nothing. Yeah. Elon Musk has done nothing. He's accomplished nothing well, I mean, in his life. He, he a lot of big companies. He sits there and picks his nose. Nope, Elon Musk has never accomplished anything. What kind of question is that? Have you not heard of Elon Musk? No, no, uh, no it's, it's a, actually a very good question. I- no, it's not. No, it's not. It's a, it's a question where you haven't done your research. Elon Musk, with Tesla, for instance, he built a factory. He built an assembly line factory that... He had a big part in designing that it, in and of itself, the way he manufactures Tesla, and he built a car that has an operating system. He built a car that's a self-driving car. So what do you say? I, I don't even understand people who go. Let, let me redirect for just a second, if I can, guys, because I want to talk specifically about what Elon Musk is doing with freedom of speech on Twitter. I'm a little concerned that he first said, yeah. and obviously it's his property. He can do whatever he wants. But he first said that as long as what you say is within the confines of the law, which means First Amendment goes, you can't say anything illegal or tortious. Everything else is okay. But now he's having this council that he's putting together, which is like the ADL and every left wing thing that wanted the disinformation governance board. So I, I am sympathetic to both points of view because I agree with Lee that he's achieved some very impressive things. But I've also become more interested in the opinion of people who don't trust Elon Musk because he's done certain things that don't make a lot of sense to me. Okay, so let me I want to talk about this topic in general, the topic of not mm-hmm. trusting Elon Musk. I don't care about trusting Elon Musk. He's not going to babysit my kids. Elon Musk owns Twitter now, and he has not done anything that I object to, including mm an organized process. He's not done something that I consider bad. And the process, I understand wanting to go through a process. And it's easy to think that it's easy. Do you you know what I'm saying? I I didn't say it was easy. I'm just concerned that he's displaying behavior that causes me to feel he's acting contradictory to his initial statements. So when he does something I object to, I will object to it. When he does something specific. And I'm there. I'm there. He's done something that I object to. So I've started to look at some of his behavior a little bit more skeptically. I want to put something in perspective. There's a Greg Reese report. He breaks down everything. That report I have an issue with, Owl Killer, because that report from 
Infowars, where he's like, Elon Musk bought, you know, brought uh, rubies to Tiffany's and sold them. Those are a lot of claims that when I ran them down were not substantiated. And that actually put me further on Lee's side of this argument, where a lot of people seem to be raising questions about Elon Musk that weren't adequately answered and did not in and of themselves constitute evidence that the guy had done what the person posing the question wanted you to believe that he had done. My issue with Elon- I gotta go for time reasons. So, but great call and thanks very much. So the time thing that I want to make sure we get to is we got a couple of clips. The first clip, we're gonna go to the NBC one we didn't get to yesterday. So Command Center, you got that? Okay, so the Paul Pelosi case is a good example. Uh Yes. Of where, how do you analyze something like that? I don't, I think a lot of the stuff that people are saying is BS. I have no evidence that the guy who assaulted Paul Pelosi was in his underwear. And it's and irrelevant asked, mostly anyway. It's mostly, right. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter unless a Republican who's supposedly on my side is out there saying publicly he's in his underwear. And he's not. Does that make yeah. sense? I don't it want does. my fellow Republicans. We have no evidence. We have no evidence in this case whatsoever. We have claims. Right. But there's no evidence to back it up. And But that does not mean I accept the Democrats' narrative on Paul Pelosi. And I think there are reasons. And this report that was posted on NBC and then removed— and then removed from all platforms, mm-hmm. raises why I have questions. And I think it's valid to have questions, but mm-hmm. it's not valid to jump to wrong conclusions. So let's play this right. clip and find out what NBC reported and then pulled down. Hit it. Yeah. Officers arrived here at the Pelosi home exactly a week ago today. They initially didn't have any idea exactly what was going on. They knew they had a high priority call on their hand. What was unclear, what was happening inside the property just behind me. This morning, Paul Pelosi is home, back at the house that became a crime scene a week ago today. NBC News learning new details about the moments police arrived. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing When officers responded to the high-priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. But instantaneously, a struggle ensued as police clearly saw David DePap strike Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer. After tackling the suspect, officers rushed to Mr. Pelosi, who was lying in a pool of blood. What we do know 
is he brutally attacked Mr. Pelosi and attempted to kill him. After spending several days in the ICU, Pelosi, who is recovering from a fractured skull and serious injuries to his arm and hand, is now home where Capitol Police remain on alert. Investigators have previously said Pelosi did not know DePap when the 42-year-old broke into his home. Why Pelosi didn't try to flee or tell responding officers he was in distress is unclear. Fear takes over. Fear freezes people. This morning, the 82-year-old, lucky to be alive after an intruder nearly killed him in his own home. Law enforcement, tell, law enforcement officials tell us the bottom line here is this was a terrifying situation. We still don't know exactly what unfolded between Mr. Pelosi and the suspect for the 30 minutes they were alone inside that house before police arrived. Officials who were investigating this matter would not go into further details about these new details. Now, I think that's very interesting, and I think it should be pursued. But even then, I don't jump to conclusions. He could have been afraid, as the one person said. And that is as reasonable an explanation as people are saying, you know, he was a male prostitute. And I've seen no We definitely evidence. don't have evidence. Right. We definitely don't have evidence to support that. And, and people have a tendency to go right to the, you know, purient like that. But right. th- th- there's something else bizarre about this, uh, Lee. You know, the, the woman who is the mother of David DePap's children is the principal at like this Jerry Garcia family clinic or something like that. Gypsy have you heard Cow. about this? What's that? Her name is G- Gypsy Tab. Gypsy, right. Okay. So she, right. Jerry Garcia Foundation, she's, they've got, and the thing is, it's not the Jerry Garcia, it, here it is, Jerry Garcia Family Clinic. Yeah. So the Jerry Garcia Foundation seems to be, oh, the site is down now. I was looking at this the other day. Oh, no, here it is. Here it is. Jerry Garcia Family Clinic is a 501c3 tax exempt organization. That this woman is the principal. You know, this is not the same webpage I saw the other day. There's something very strange going on with this because this is not the official Jerry Garcia Foundation. There's another Jerry Garcia Foundation. I don't understand how a famous rock star and his foundation allow another foundation that he's not affiliated with to exist. I don't understand why. All these people that we investigate for various allegations of criminal activity are associated with 501c3 and other tax-exempt entities. And I also don't understand really? why— Really? Joe- you don't understand that? Really? Really? One second. So you've got millions of dollars, and a lawyer and an accountant say, you should put it in a 501c3 because there are tax advantages. And you, being a rock star— Suck on your pipe again. Jerry Garcia is not involved in this, and let's let's not use this Jerry manner of, of, so of argumentation with each other. What I'm saying is there is someone who's running a Jerry Garcia foundation that is a legitimate foundation as far as I can tell. This Jerry Garcia family clinic is a separate 501c3 that I don't necessarily see any links to actually Jerry Garcia at all, but DePappy's baby mama is the principal there. So something weird is going on. I'm not saying Jerry Garcia has a problem for creating a 501c3. I don't know there's something weird. And forgive me if I sounded a bit spazzy there, but sometimes I can't modulate the way I speak. I'm not upset at all. 
I just don't so, want you to get too so excited. My, my I'm just saying there are criminals who get involved in these tax-exempt entities. There are legitimate charities, of course, but I see a lot of criminals who get uh, tax-exempt organizations going. All is, it's a tax status. 501c3 refers to the tax code, I believe, right? It's a certain type of tax-exempt organization. Yes, there are different rules for a 501c3, a 501c4, a 501c6. But the point is, money that gets sent to these things isn't taxed. And this is strange that this one claims to be associated with Jerry Garcia. I mean, look at archive.org, because this is not the web page I was looking at the other day. And all these web pages that they're saying, there was a web page called Friendly Friends or something like this that was associated with DePap which had all the QAnon stuff on it, but it had all been created days prior. It seemed inauthentic. There was evidence to support the claim that it might not be authentic. So what's okay. going on? So, Command Central, are you saying at all? Okay. So, late, well, well, update me if there's new news. We're finding out that Carmen Savia, who is scheduled to be on the show at this time, is not answering. So that's what Command Central and I are talking about. In the meantime, Jason, let's take a short break and we'll pick up sure. this conversation on the other side. Sure. And I, I actually don't find anything weird about that at all. And I don't care who that, because I know the way these things work. And what's, I, I don't know even what's weird about it, but we'll talk about it. Jason, take us to the boom and let's take a short break. This is the backstory. Backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM AM 1390. And we're joined by the great Jason Goodman on Truth Tuesday. So, Jason, what, what I'm saying in general is first off, I don't find the existence of a 501c3 at all bizarre. And what you're describing that there's a variety of websites or something associated with it, there's nothing weird about that either. You're misunderstanding so, what I'm saying, Lee. Okay. Yeah, go, go the ahead. The EIN number saying? associated with, well, the EIN number, the employer identification number, published on the archived website, which has changed in the past couple of days. The website has changed. The EIN number I got from the archives. That is associated with a Berkeley, California charity called Life on the Street Support Services, Inc., which is tax-exempt since January of 2019. One of the things that I find strange is that this tax-exempt entity has no registration whatsoever with the California Secretary of State Registry of Charitable Trusts. It also has not publicly published any of its 990 filings in the past three years. So what I'm saying is I find it strange that this person, I mean, she's not Jerry Garcia's ex-wife. She's not Jerry Garcia's daughter. It's odd to me that she's involved with something that has Jerry Garcia's name on it, that multiple elements of evidence okay, seem wait, to suggest. She's a, she's a nurse who used the name Gypsy. Do you find it odd that she might be a deadhead? Why no, but if you have... start a company called Jerry Garcia something, Inc., I bet you a dollar 
whoever is actually running legitimate estate of Jerry Garcia doesn't want you doing that unless they know you and know what you're doing. And if you're not filing the legal filings, this charity is not properly organized and it's violating the law by not having these 990s posted so that we can see who the principals are, who the donors are. This is a very opaque thing connected so to a you, weird person. Do you think it's a big organized charity? Do you think it's a, like, like some of the Soros ones with all kinds of secretaries and accountants on file? Is perfectly common for comp for 990s for to not get filed. Incorrect. It's a violation of law. Yes, it's okay. common, but oh it's a god. violation of law. Oh my god, law. it's a violation of law. You're, oh my god, you mean people sometimes do things that they're not supposed to? Lee, I'm getting mean, irritated with this with this method of communication. All I'm saying is this person is doing it, something weird in Paul Pelosi's house. Perfectly normal. Has kids with a woman who's frequent. a principal at a charity that hasn't shown us the legal name change, hasn't filed any of the documents that a legitimate charity would file, and there's unusual activity associated with it. I don't understand why you're defending it. I'm not coming well, to any conclusions. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just demonstrating the, the evidence. I'm defending the concept that there's anything weird about this. The first thing, I don't know for a fact that they haven't filed that. All you've said is you haven't been able to find it. On right? the charity registration in California and on ProPublica where they would be filed and, if and, they were publicly and did filed. you ask someone at the state, I'm not finding a filing for this. And they said to you, oh, oh we have a problem here because they did not do that. Or, or did I've looked they into say, many of these, and I've seen the ones that are properly registered and properly filed, and I've seen the ones that aren't, and this one is not. So no, so I haven't seen, called them. You've seen but some. But I'm confident that, that if I filed. call them, you go call the DMV in California, the Secretary of State. You have a vague idea of how that's going to go. I could call them if you want. I have a feeling they'll say something like, "Oh yeah, you're right. It hasn't been filed." It doesn't appear to be in compliance. That doesn't mean they're going to go do anything about it. They're just going to acknowledge right. what I'm telling you. The stuff isn't filed. But the, but they haven't done that. So I I, I think you're going down a several paths here that are, are premature. You have not found out whether you're, you're making statements that they haven't filed this 990s. However, I don't know that. I know you haven't found it yet. That's what ProPublica.org and the California Registry of Charitable Trusts show nothing. That's a good right. indicator that they haven't been filed. The web page right. changed from when I looked at it a few days so ago my guess when is, this web page was discussed is, on Tucker Carlson. And and the easy thing to predict here is that this is a small, inconsequential, minor 501c3, Right. And do I don't you know, know that. I can't come to that conclusion. I'm just telling you it's not properly filing its paperwork. And there's a lot of weird things going on with this guy, David so DePappy. Here's another one. I have never started a 501c3, but I've investigated many of them. But I've never run you know one. How, do you know how you start one? I would call a lawyer if I was going to do that. But as a matter of fact, anyone who wanted to involve me in a 501c3, I would say I don't want to go near it because they're so legally complicated and fraught with you know confusing problems that I don't want to be involved in a 501c3. But the way you get one going is you declare it. You don't have to file anything to declare a 501c3. So if you started the Jason Pack today, 
You follow me? You I don't think you get tax-exempt status until the IRS gives you a letter that says, here you are. You need a determination letter. You need an authorized organizational but purpose. Why do you need, need tax-exempt to status today? What, what I'm saying is to start it, to bring money in, all you have to do is declare it. And well, declare to bring money in, all you have to do is say, I'm raising money to do X, Y, and Z. I, I've told many people, I'm raising money to produce a show on Patreon and Subscribestar, and I defend lawsuits and various things. If you like the show and want to help me fight lawsuits, you can provide money. Now, if right. I were to tell people this is a charity and you can get a tax deduction, then I would apply for 501c3 status. And the reason why a lot of charities do it is because it makes it more attractive to people who want to donate money. We're talking about two different things. But, I'm but, selling but, a but, subscription but, video service. The 501c3, you don't need to do anything but I say don't think that's correct, Lee. I think no, to it, start it a pack. Is. Jason, 100%, I know this for a fact. All you have to do... To start it is declare it. Then by the time the tax season rolls around, you're supposed to declare the paperwork. But all you have to do, 100%, because I've done this, and I've worked with other people who have done this, absolutely for a fact, all you need to do to start it is to declare it. And what happens between declaring it and the time you're required to get it going does that make sense? Then you're supposed to file that paperwork. But a lot, a lot of people don't because either they don't raise any money. Does that make sense? Sometimes it has been tax exempt since 2019 and it's changed the name. All of that requires well, no, paperwork. No, no, no. Where is it? You have no, shown no proof that this has been tax exempt. Because that would it's written, require. It's written, it's written on the thing. Listen, when I go to ProPublica and I put in the EIN that this woman's webpage gives us, it brings up Life on the Street Support Services, Inc., Berkeley, California, 94703, tax exempt since January 2019, EIN okay, number 83. So, so something is showing up. Okay. Yes. So you were saying, I, I'm confused because you said before. That's what I'm that saying. You're misunderstanding what I'm telling you. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm saying the 990s haven't been filed. The thing is is set up and she's created it. She's done all this declaration that you're talking about. She's been given an EIN and she's obviously presented information. You, you get the EIN from the Secretary of State. And when you, when you get 501c3 tax exempt status, that is given by the IRS. And they examine your paperwork and they examine what you say. You say, all right, we're going to start a 501c3 to raise money for homeless dogs or something. And we're going to have a dog shelter there and get people to adopt dogs. They'll say, yeah, okay, that's good, fine. You got a veterinarian involved and this and that. You get all your dogs there. You're going to pay for the building. By getting that tax-exempt status, people who love dogs would rather give money to you because they're $100, they can get a tax write-off. And all of that is determined by the IRS. The declaration part, I agree with you. The problem is this is not properly organized. There seems to be so, something So I'll, I'll give illegal. an example. When there's nothing weird about, if you said uh, there's a corporation and they did not file paperwork, a lot of times companies are a small company and they do not file paperwork. I'm saying it's illegal. They're supposed to file paperwork. Right. However, what does it prove? What does any of this have to do with anything? 
Why do I care? I have observed that there are a large number of criminals who start and operate tax-exempt organizations because it's a great way for them to steal 40% more money. And it seems like the IRS and whoever is in charge of investigating these things does not make a regular practice of investigating people who are engaged in because charity they, fraud. They don't actually examine it. They don't actually investigate. What they do is they look at your paperwork, they see if you have a person listed in the signature spot as the uh, administrator or whoever. That's what they do. They don't investigate them. You're right. The IRS is supposed to investigate tax fraud. That's why they're adding 87,000 people to their criminal investigation division. They have a criminal investigation but division. There's no but evidence. But it seems to never You've investigate. no evidence of, of that. And what would I happen to you, why, Lee, if you I didn't file your taxes for three I years? I still don't see why I care. Why do I care? Because what we're talking have, about you know, a suspicious about situation. And relate this to Paul Pelosi. There is a lot like of suspicious. Being doing it. You got to calm down. Listen, listen, I don't want you to get upset because I don't want you to have another stroke. So if we're not able to have a calm conversation, I should leave and you should carry on the show without me. But the relationship to Paul Pelosi with the hammer is we've seen not one piece of evidence. We've heard claims, statements, contradictory statements. And I'm just saying there are a lot of really inexplicable things about this guy, David DePappy. And here is another one. A woman who he has three children with is running a charity by her own admission. And everything that I see about this charity is a red flag for fraud. That's what I'm talking about. All right. All right. He's a male hooker and he did not hit. I never said that. You've proven it. Lee, Lee, I didn't say that. Listen, I'm getting very irritated right now. Okay, so we either change the way this is going or I have other things to do. No, I appreciate that, Jason. So I don't see the relevance of this to anything. Then let's talk about something else. No, right. Because I still don't see it. And uh, the, the, the point that I was making earlier was the idea of not trusting someone I don't know what that means in the context. No, poor choice no of is, words. What? Poor choice of words by me. It was a poor choice of words by no, me. No, what I'm, I'm saying is we, we have. No, I, I think it's a common use. I hear a lot of people say, I don't trust Tulsi Gabbard or I don't trust Elon Musk. A lot of people say stuff, stuff like that. I hear it all yeah. the time. So I'm not picking right. on you at all. Okay. But to to clarify what I meant, it's like, and you know, when I play, Jason, one sec, yeah. let's play. Yeah. I have another policy clip. So let's play sure. that. OK, Jason. Yes. Yes. So Paul Pelosi apparently doesn't want to talk about this stuff. Not just you. Of course. Of I'm course. joking. <laughs> but uh, let's play the clip. Hit it. His uh, health care providers. Has he been able to talk to you about what he was thinking when he woke up and found this person in in the room? We haven't quite had that conversation because any revisiting of it is really traumatizing. It was hard, and one of the hardest things all week was to go back into the house for him uh, in the entrance, which is, of course, where Where he was hit. And, of course, upstairs in the bedroom where that person... Well, that person, I, I wish I'd known what she was saying after that. But uh, there you go, Jason. So what do you think of that? 
I mean, again, I just think we have not seen any evidence. Whatever Nancy Pelosi says, whatever the news says, whatever the police say, why don't we see surveillance footage of this guy breaking in? Why don't we see body camera footage? It's bizarre to me that with the police there, he decides to attack the guy. Now, that could be explained by him being completely crazy. But where is the body camera footage? You know, you've said this. Many people have said this. The number one thing to cure conspiracy theories and speculation is transparency and say, you know what? All you people who say he was a male prostitute, here's the footage. And maybe if we saw the clip of video, it all makes sense that the police arrived just in time. This guy is freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. And in a moment of being a crazy person, he bops the guy in the head with a hammer but whatever happened, the handling of this situation by the Pelosi family, by the police, the fact that they're not releasing surveillance footage, even if they wanted to protect the privacy of everybody involved, just show five seconds of video of somebody outside the house hitting a hammer and breaking in. Why would that harm their privacy? Why is it another case of video cameras that nobody's looking at? This is the third in line for the presidency and the U.S. Capitol Police fail again, the same people who failed to secure the Capitol on January 6th. And we're saying that this is an issue of Donald Trump and QAnon. I mean, this whole entire case stinks. Now, we've talked many times about how the Justice Department has been politicized. And it goes down to releasing body cam footage. In George Floyd's case, they also held back the body cam footage. In that yep. case, they did it because the body cam footage was complete, uh, was a complete different story than the narrative. The narrative right. at that point was George Floyd was killed by racist cops. And right. what they showed was George Floyd had fought the cops, right, Jason? And and ate a ton of fentanyl or something, right? Yes, apparently. Yeah, and they didn't. They didn't, didn't like know. that part of the story, right? Right. So I have a feeling the body camera footage, likewise, in this Pelosi case, would show us something completely different than what they're telling us. I don't know what that is. I don't presume the guy's a prostitute in his underwear. I'm just saying something real screwy is going on over there. Yeah, and and something, you know, it shows how. Releasing or withholding the body cam footage is a political decision. Does that make sense, mm -hmm. Jason? The, the I read thing an interesting – yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Read an interesting thing about body camera footage. I was looking into the Civilian Complaint Review Board here in New York City, and it turns out that the judge who gave the order that compelled the NYPD to use body cameras said that it increases – the like and someone says, oh, the cops did X, Y and Z. Having the body camera footage both doubled the number of cases brought against cops where the person was telling the truth and also doubled the number of claims that were proven to be false against the cops. But more often than not, the police do everything they can to obstruct the civilian complaint review board. That's what this article was about and not give them this body camera footage. Because I think the George Floyd case proves something else, that footage that's not manipulated, it is not a deep, deep fake, no visual mm -hmm. effects on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you only show a small portion of it and from one angle, it does, it, it, I'm not saying the George Floyd footage was faked, right? I, I don't it think- It can be person, deceptive though. 
But it, it can be that, that's the point I'm getting at. Exactly yeah. right. Without it being intentionally deceptive. In other words, I don't think someone said, I'm going to get this angle because it looks like there's a knee on his neck. Does that make sense? No one said that. Yeah. Yeah. So they were just taking a shot. But from that angle, it looked like a knee was on his neck. And from another angle, and the body cam angle, his knee's not on his neck. Right? Well, so, in multiple angles over time, you see a lot of different things from those other body He's been struggling with them at the supermarket and everything. There's a lot of stuff on the body cam. Right. So one way you destroy it, one way that can change a footage, you know, showing the truth is the angle it's shot from. Does that make sense? Yeah. But another factor is when it was taken. In other words, if you see 10 seconds of footage and you don't see the prior minute, it doesn't really give you the whole picture, right? Yeah, yeah, they take it out of context. I mean, <clears throat> the point I wanted to get to on that article about the police body cams is you can be pretty confident that the police will not release body camera footage unless it's favorable to their point of view. Yes, and, and that means often fitting a political narrative. When right. they want to show what, you know, because it, it does not politically Sometimes they want police convicted. Does that make sense? Yeah. George they Floyd, want yeah. To show, a lot of times in these Black Lives Matter case, they want to show that the cop did something wrong. They want to show that. Even when, yep. you know, the, the Minnesota authorities wanted Derek Chauvin to be found guilty. They didn't want anything showing his innocence. Does that make sense, Jason? Agreed, yeah. So it's hard to tell. Now, by the way, some of this comes up in the elections because we're seeing today that machines have gone out, for instance, in New Jersey. Hmm. And machines sometimes go out naturally, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. So that happens. And sometimes there's shenanigans. <laughs> I think the thing that worried me is that for days we've had the Biden administration and their spokesman out there saying it's going to take days to count the ballots, and that's normal. Do you remember I, I, days I, of old? That seems the new normal. Yeah, I, it used to be like at right. night. You would know. Right. When I was growing up, it, it, it sometimes would go till two in the morning, but right, almost right. always it was never days. Yeah, next morning, the newspaper told you what was up. Now, wait a minute, no, they, Lee. I'm looking on the news. It's saying voting machines. Bloomberg says two hours ago, voting machines malfunction in Arizona. Glitches with voting tabulation machines in Arizona's largest county have touched off unsubstantiated claims of election fraud. How do they know they're unsubstantiated so, if it only happened two hours ago? So we have a clip about that, Jason. Let's hit it. Hit it. <laughs> to make sure that the cleans and everything is fine. Can you repeat that? I can promise can you. you can you start from the beginning yeah. and repeat that? So what happens is we have two tabulators. One of the tabulators is not working, okay? The other tabulator is taking about 75% successful. So 25% of them are being misread, and it could be a printer issue. 
um, or it could be the tabulator itself. So when it's misread, you have an option to put it into what's called box three, and it gets read, whether it goes down and gets read normally, or whether it gets refed in into our tabulator. You don't want to it. get read. No. So no one's trying to <laughs> deceive anyone. Of course not. On election day. That would never happen, right? No. That would never happen. Now, I would say that guy was being somewhat argumentative, too. Jason? Uh, it was it was sounded like a lot of chaos in that room, different people talking about different things. But, you know, his explanation does not basically inspire confidence. 75 percent. So wait a minute. Either the thing is working or it's not. I don't want something that's 75 percent accurate because how do you know it's 75? Like, what does that even mean? What is he explaining to us? I think it was saying 75 percent of the machines are working, but 25 percent uh, aren't. That's how I took it. Oh, oh I, I didn't understand that aspect of it. Have Have you and I discussed, Lee, the patent that is held by Dominion Voting Systems? The title of the patent is Electronic Correction of Voter-Marked Paper Ballots, and the abstract describes in detail a series of conditions that cause the machine to correct the vote mark. Do you know right. about that? A little bit. Talk about it for further. Well, I mean, it's not speculation. It's not Hugo Chavez. It's not Russia hacking. This is a patent that Dominion Voting Systems paid an attorney to apply for, and it was granted to them in 2012 or 14 or something like that. And I don't have it in front of me, but as I said, it describes a series of conditions whereby the software has the ability to electronically correct a voter-marked paper ballot. And it's always been curious to me that all these lawyers, Sidney Powell, even Rudy Giuliani, who got involved in these electron, you know, all the claims associated with 2020, not a single one of them raised that point because all the cases got dismissed for failure to state a claim or, you know, for not having valid evidence or whatever. All I would have said from a legal standpoint is, okay, here's your patent. Dominion voting. You're telling us this is a component of your software hardware suite. The question is, how many times was this set of algorithms invoked? How many voter marked paper ballots were electronically corrected? And can we see the original ballots and all the database records associated with correcting them? Ask that. And they can't say this is invalid. This is made up. It's a question about their software that nobody has asked. And Jason, let's take a break at the top of the hour. When we come back, we'll have more stuff on Election Day here in The Empire of Lies. And Jason, take us to the boom, please. This is the backstory. Day in the Empire of Lies. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. We're joined by Jason Goodman as our guest host today. I'm Lee Strahan. This is the backstory. So, Jason, lively discussion. And once again, let me say this I apologize to you if I was a little 
emotional and spazzy. Apology accepted. Apology accepted. But, the most important thing is I don't want you to get upset. Yeah, no, I, and that's my point is, uh, uh, you know, I can't control the way I modulate my speech sometimes, but some of this stuff, so I might sound more upset than I am. Does that make sense? And I apologize. Yeah, and I apologize to the extent that I might have misinterpreted. Everything is good. I enjoy the lively conversation, and we—it's okay when we disagree. Me, me, me. Yeah, that's nice of you to say. But I'm at you a and I know each other life. very well. We know each other very well, and I—you know—we can get in a heated discussion. It's okay. We're going to live. <laughs> and I'm also at a point in my life, post-divorce, I may say, yeah. where yeah. I feel it's very important to admit. When I've done something wrong, does that make sense? It's big of you. It's very big of you, and I always I, accept a sincere apology. They're so rare. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, so coming up this hour, we have the great Tom Nichols with us. Jason, take us to the boom, please. This is the backstory. So I think this, a lot of these problems that we're having, by we, I mean everybody politically yeah. is it shows that even in a discussion with two people who genuinely like each other right like you and I yeah it gets heated right <laughs> right right and that's part of my point about not trusting people i hear a lot of people say that and let me say this the world is rigged you know and rigged might be the wrong choice of word the world Inherently, communication between two people is difficult, naturally. Even people, you know, romantic relationships, divorce rates show this. Even people who start out loving each other, right? Something can yeah. happen along the way. Yeah. And if that can happen with people who love each other, imagine how tough it is for Democrats and Republicans who already don't love each other. To have no. good communication. Does that make sense, Jason? It does. And I think you hit it at the top of this second hour here, Lee, which is that, you know, there are a lot of people who are purposefully putting false information and contentious situations and, you know, create fomenting all this hatred. And it's affecting everyone. The increase in crime, the increase in misery, people getting sick with COVID people not having enough money, everyone is feeling very tense. Yes, indeed. And uh, so I would I would say, uh, in my experience, a lot of times when there's disagreement with someone, there's a phrase, uh, to understand everything is to forgive everything. And while hmm. I don't think that's true, I think it's <laughs> sort of true. I, I it's don't interesting, think you, yeah. Because the more you understand, uh, okay, I'll put it out like this. You know, I, I'm trying to think of appropriate analogies that I feel like doing. Well, if someone, I'm going to use, I'm not talking about anything specifically in my marriage or my life. I would tell you. But yeah. sometimes if people cheat, for instance, that sounds bad, right? Yeah. But if you yeah. found out that the person had been cut out sexually for, let's say, six years. Their partner, their wife, let's say, wasn't sleeping with them for six years. And then the person who'd been cut out 
cheated, you might go, well, you know, six years of celibacy in a marriage, I can see why they kind of get sick of that. Does that make sense? Like kind of miti mitigating circumstances, yeah. And so, right, mitigating is a good word. Yeah. You can still say, well, you still shouldn't have done that. And perhaps yeah. you'd be right. But I think it's yeah. different than a guy who on his honeymoon sees right. a good-looking chick and right. buys her a couple of beers that night. Does it make sense in the hotel lobby? Yeah. That Anthony Bourdain book describes a bride having sex with the chef at the wedding. Right. And so I'm not saying everything, but whatever. I'm saying greater understanding. So Elon Musk, in, and Tariq, we'll get to you in one second. Elon Musk, it, you know, Fitzgerald said the very rich are not like us. They have more money. Yeah. And that was Fitzgerald. <laughs> and so it's good. It's true. Elon Musk is a billionaire. And I think very few of us really grasp what that's like, what it's like to have that much money and to have people constantly. You have to be, you know, Elon Musk, are, are you in favor? Are you in fear, Jason, if you go out to dinner that you might be kidnapped? And someone holds uh, you for I'm, hostage. I'm more in fear that I would just years? be assaulted and killed, but not kidnapping, no. Right. And not because someone might kidnap you to get some of your money. Right. right. And cut your No, thumb I don't off have that fear. To show proof of life. Yeah, I don't have that but fear. No. Does Elon Musk have that fear? He must. He should if he doesn't, yeah. Right? So Elon well, certainly a concern, yeah. You and I can go out anywhere we want to. And we're not worried about if we go out in public that we might be kidnapped. But Elon has to fear that, right? And there's a lot of things. We also, Elon doesn't remember what's like to worry about rent money. He might remember it, but he, here's the part of it that I think is maybe less obvious for people, Lee. And, and listeners who are with us right now, think about this. Think about how much time during the day or how much planning in a given month you spend thinking, hey, I want to buy a car or a new computer or a sweater or a new iPhone or whatever. And you're like, oh, right. well, gee, that's $1,000. I don't really have that. How can I get that? What do I need to occupy all of my time with to achieve this thing? Versus if you're Elon Musk and you could say, well, give me 15 iPhones, 12 jets, like those thoughts, that thought process – his whole entire approach, like, I mean, when I'm in the supermarket, I'm thinking, do I want this kind of tomato sauce? Well, gee, that's $4.99. Here's one that's $2.99. And I just don't think that that type of day-to-day -day thought process occupies the mind. So what are they occupied with? You know, is it making another billion dollars? Is it controlling the World Economic Forum? I mean, what are these different billionaires' thoughts occupied with? And people make assumptions that a lot of these people are thinking about the WF, but I guarantee you, a lot of people who are part of the WF spend no time thinking about the WF. It's just a place they know they're going to go skiing in Switzerland this month, but they're not really thinking about it. Does it make sense, Jason? 
The angle of that that I've considered, because everyone's like, oh, this guy went to the WF, he's evil. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. How do you know they didn't go there because every single person in business goes there and people who don't listen to alternative viewpoint news maybe don't know the things that some of us know. It's like if you and I went to the National Association of Broadcasters convention and some particular right. criminal or very evil company was there doing something and a bunch of people who were there did that. Just because we're there doesn't necessarily mean we even know those people or have anything to do with them or like being there. It could be that you work for a company that said, hey, Lee, I know you hate flying and going to Vegas and whatever, but you have to go to this thing and do X, Y, and Z. We don't really know the circumstances of anybody being there. And what you described is the way I really think it is for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I'll put it like that. The WF does not have the reputation of the Nazi party. Worldwide, right? right. If you're invited, no, to Klaus WF, Schwab might, but yeah, <laughs> right. But if you're invited to WF, you might go. This looks like a fun vacation, and I'll get to ski. And well, a lot business of other opportunity, networking. A lot of people feel they have to go there because they're in whatever line of business, and everybody who's anybody is there. So we'll talk about this more. But let's go to calls: two hundred two, five two one, thirteen twenty. Tarif, what is on your mind? Thank you all for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free Julian Assange. I got three uh, comments. First comment is this. I'm glad toward, um, <clears throat> Elon Musk is going to $8 to, to, uh, per person. That's going to act as a verification because people, you know, names and stuff is tied to the uh, credit cards or the debit card. It'd be hard for the bot firms. To put 10,000 accounts on one debit card, it'd be very hard for them to do that. So, <laughs> and it's going to make Twitter more valuable in the future, believe it or not, because people going to know the, 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 the people that's looking at the um, advertisement is actually people instead of bot. My second comment is dealing with Saudi Arabia in China. She's going to talk to NBS, I think, this, this week or next week. And everybody's signaling that's going to be the end of the petrol dollar because if Saudi Arabia, wow. United States, and brings currency over there, bring the, the patrol, uh, petroleum over there to the new basket of currencies for the next six months to a year, that's it for the United States. So basically, MBS got to watch his back now because now you're going to see the um, powers of B going to try to do a coup regime change in Saudi Arabia. Third, Colonel mm. Douglas McCarragher, uh, I just saw him. He was just talking about something about got we in a dangerous prom, um, event right now dealing with Ukraine. Somebody from uh, I think Sullivan, I think his name was leaked out. Jake Sullivan, yes, National Security Advisor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, he got ninety thousand troops in. Poland and Romania training hard. The, the one-on-one. Oh boy, a thousand troops. And the rumors and speculation that nine thousand troops might go into Ukraine. And now, you know, if they come in contact with Russian troops, that can be that can be an escalation into something major. Oh boy. So the one-on-one is, from what I understand, they're training. They're actually training for hard, like for combat now. So it's we're in a desperate situation right now. Yeah. Three wow. Great call as usual, Sharif. And that Jake Sullivan thing is a big deal. And also you mentioned the Saudis. Long term, the Saudi relationship, 
and I, I don't like the Saudi Arabian government, but uh, no. the Biden administration is really pissing off the Saudi Arabian government, which I don't think is a good move either. So mm-hmm. let's go back to the topic of human relations we were talking about, because it re- actually relates to this. One of the things I think that really poisons relationships, if I came in to the show, for instance, with the idea that you were trying to screw me over and make me look bad to take my job, right? It's completely made up. Obviously, Jason's not trying to do that. But if someone had called me and said, I heard Jason called your boss and really is trashing you and is trying to make you look bad, you follow me? Yeah. So let's say I've been told that. My relationship with you on the show would be changed because I'd be thinking, how is Jason trying to make me look bad? Right. Right? Yes. So in that case, I would approach you differently. And that is why I think, I'll put it like this. What the U.S. has been saying about Putin for years, he's a monster. He's the most evil person in the world. He's Hitler. How do you go into negotiations at right. all with that person? <laughs> no, no exactly. I, I really mean it. Think about You're this, You're right. Jason. They can't. They've poisoned the well. Right. And if you, I think if they approach it like this guy may do some things I don't like, but he's not a monster. He's not a serial killer. You know, and they have referred to him that way. He's not Hitler. Because someone was asking me about Ali Alexander, and I, I've known Ali for 10 years or so, probably 12. And someone asked me, because I was saying, you know, Ali's been on Alex Jones re- recently. And someone said, well, what do you think Alex should do about Ali? And I'll tell you what, I don't trust Ali, and it's based on things. But do you know what my policy about Ali is? That I just Alex don't should deal talk with to him if he wants to. Yeah, right. Let right. Alex do talk to whoever he wants. Right, right. Alex can talk to whoever he wants to. But for me, what I do is I just avoid Ali. Yeah. I feel like he can't really get me in trouble if I avoid him. Does right, make sense? and you go anywhere near him and he's likely to get you in trouble. I agree with that. <laughs> now, now, and some people, I'm not saying you have to deal with everybody. Some people don't mean you well. But in anything from a divorce negotiation, one area that I'm actually relieved by is my conversations with my now ex-wife. It used to be every conversation I had to worry that anything I say to her can and would be used against me in In court. court, Right. Right. Does that make sense, Jason? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And now at least that's gone. It used to be. You know, three months ago, if my wife said to me, well, the kids need 500 bucks for a dentist appointment, right? Uh-huh. I'm not saying that's unreasonable, but I'm saying if I agreed to it, the judge could come back and go, well, you agreed to pay that 500 bucks, so you're agreeing to pay for all their dental work, Whoa. 100%. Does that make sense? Did that happen? Well, maybe you don't have to talk that, about that. Don't talk about that. That that kind of no. issue. Came yeah, up yeah, 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 yeah. Where, yeah, where yeah. I would normally want to give her money, 
Right. You know, but I was well, you want your kids to have healthy teeth, but she turns it into a battle. Right. And this is why I never wanted to be in court in the first place. But right. now I can have a conversation with my wife and she's like, because we know what the deal is now. We've settled alimony and child support and all that stuff. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now that is not a factor. But in looking at international relations, I would say the first thing the U.S. should do is stop demonizing their adversaries. And stopping demonizing your adversaries applies not just to Russia, but to the WEF. In other words, they're undoubtedly, I view them as a negative force. However, I think not overly, you know, not assuming, I have no evidence that Klaus Schwab is a serial killer. Now, by the way, a lot of these people are involved in big crime. You know, why I consider big stuff. But, but who? What? What's that? Which people? Yeah, well, you get that sometimes. So, no, no, but I'm I saying which about, people are you talking about? You, the people in the world. I'm not sure who you're talking about right now. Who is involved in major crimes? Well, let's say let's say Klaus Schwab. Okay. Part of their agenda, I think, is shifting things. They believe in the Great Reset, and yeah. I, I believe that this time that we're in right now, is for reasons that are natural and normal, part of a great reset. Let's talk about electric cars, for instance. Do you know mm-hmm. what's going on with electric cars? You know this. I mean, it's, a lot I, of I know quite a bit. Yeah. A lot of technology in 2022 did not exist in 1972. Right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So batteries, for instance, today can do things batteries couldn't do 20 years ago. Yeah, you didn't have lithium-ion battery chemistry until the 1990s. And, you know, that that statement a lot of people get freaked out about, that you will own nothing. I used to own the Adobe suite of products. Now I rent it. Adobe Photoshop and After Effects well, you subscribe to it. You subscribe. subscribe the whole model of how they give it has changed because they're updating it now much more regularly. And do you know what? I don't miss ownership at all. Because I like it in the old in the old days, if you want to start, let's say I was out of a job tomorrow and I had to start a visual effects studio, right? So I need to I have visual effects skills, so I need to start that company. It used to be I'd have to spend $2,000 on getting the Adobe products. Right, Jason? Now I can get that going for 50 bucks a month. Yeah, that's Does that true. Make sense? I hadn't thought of it like that. I hadn't thought about it like that in terms of multiple different – yeah, because I also haven't been – no, you're right. The thing I like about it is that the old way, yeah, you owned it. And this is specific to software. I think people are upset when they apply this to houses and cars and stuff. But I agree with you on the software standpoint. Because before you were buying something, but I mean, what did you have? The plastic disc that it came on, the ones and zeros that were contained in there? Because even though you owned it, unlike a car, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now, you could find yourself in a position where, oh, I've got this 10-year-old version of Adobe Photoshop, but 
my computer has been updated and it doesn't work anymore. It's, it's, it's a difficult analogy. A car, you could have a 50-year-old car that would still work. Yeah, so, so but car ownership has its downsides. For instance, yeah. as so does home ownership. I live in an apartment. If my plumbing has a problem, right. I call right. the somebody apartment else. and they send right. somebody. If this is my house, if I own yep. this, if the plumbing breaks down, Fix it, Lee. You, it's your yeah, plumbing. Exactly. <laughs> Are you a plumber? So, I don't think so. <laughs> right. I, and I'm not. So I don't yeah. want to deal with that. So, yeah. you know, for instance, I have a nice DSLR camera, right? And lenses. Yep. I have a yep. few thousand dollars invested between lenses and the camera. But how yep. much do I use that camera realistically? Mm. Maybe once every two, three weeks. Right. This, right? Because I'm not a full-time mm -hmm. photographer. Now, some days I'll use it three days in a row. But mostly, right. I don't use it. It sits in a closet. So if I didn't own that camera, but if it was collectively owned by me and five other people who each had three days with it every three weeks, does that make sense, Jason? Yeah. I mean, maybe the, you know, this maybe is like ride-sharing. Occasionally likes doing photography, too. There's no reason for me to own that camera. I do. Uh, but I, I, I will differ with you here. There isn't no reason. I agree that what you're saying could maximize the efficiency. No, I'm in my personal case, no, no Your personal reason. case. For me, so let's use this exact example, because I also have quite a lot of money invested in the camera, took some great photos of you, some great photos of Mount Rushmore and other things. I used to use this type of camera far more frequently when I was, you know, a professional cinematographer and going all over the place. But now I like owning it and having it because I know every time I take it out, nobody has messed with the 85 millimeter lens. There's no fingerprint on the sensor. It's my equipment. I like to keep it very, I am much more fastidious with my production equipment than most people are. And I learned this when I was in LA and forced to start to rent out some of my own gear to be able to afford to keep it. It was damaged and destroyed and uh, right away. So there is right. an argument for owning certain types of things. And if you have the money to do it, you're right. It's not the most financially efficient way to do it, but there are certain intangible benefits that ownership of certain things, if you can afford to do it. And by the way, had to sell that camera at one point and now have another less expensive one. But there's, there's arguments on both sides. The thing that I'm for, Lee, is allowing people to make that choice because for you, shared ownership might be better. But if it wasn't even an option, I guarantee if suddenly someone said, we want to make the life story of Lee Stranahan, here's $20 million to option your story, and you could buy every camera, every lens, every self-driving car you could ever want. You'd prefer to have that stuff there. So if you wanted to shoot on Wednesday and it was the neighbor's day, you don't have to deal with that convenience. Yeah, and some stuff like the equipment I used to do this radio show, I like owning and yeah. it's an investment. But right. with if I was describing the way trends are going in society, we have moved yeah. from a world where you had to buy the software because right. think about what you need to do what Adobe's doing. You need software programmed to be able to 
check that you paid for it any given month, right? Yep. So you also need an internet like, connection, right? And there's a whole bunch of things. But if I were describing trends in society, which the WEF is looking at, trends. One trend mm -hmm. is we're moving towards. It's perfectly natural. There's nothing weird about it, and there's nothing bad about it inherently. Where you can, you know, you don't have to buy a car. You can use right. Uber and Lyft, for instance. Right. And that's what I do. I've had to. And you can occasionally, if you drive, rent a car. But in my circumstances, owning a car makes no sense because I can't see and I don't but have a the, license. The danger, however, Lee, is that we're now being led down a path where they're telling us you can only own this kind of car. And it's like, wait a minute, I like going to the track on Saturday and you know, burning up tires and grinding the gears on an 800 horsepower standard shift. Like, why don't I have that option anymore? I, I get it that some people prefer this, but I want these options to stay in place. I like choice, freedom of choice. And, and while, while you may like freedom of choice, I understand it because I lived in LA in the 80s. In fact, in the 80s, every day was a smog alert. Yeah. In Los Angeles, the air was really bad. Yeah, and it's better now, got, it is. It is. And you know why it's better? More emissions controls. Right. More efficient Sorry. engines. Sorry, more emissions controls were working out disastrously. You could see it every day in LA. And so no, sometimes- but that led to less pollution, didn't it? They increased the emission controls. Right, that's my to point. Tight, yeah, it's, tighter restrictions, it's, yes. Environmentalist wackos. Well, not quite. You, well, but you see my point. Yeah, it's somewhere in the middle is what it is. Right, and that's a good way of putting it. But let's take a short yeah. break. When we come back, we'll be joined by the great writer and author, often featured in Front Page Magazine, Tom Nichols, coming up next on The Backstory. Back on the backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM, AM 1390, in the Empire of Lies, Capital, Washington, D.C. So, Jason, are you familiar with stand up comedians sometimes say when they're doing stand up in front of an audience that they dug themselves into a hole? Have you ever heard of that phrase, Jason? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, and when they get there, stand-ups, you know, they piss off the audience. And <laughs> the audience the audience kind of hates them. And yeah. good stand-ups like digging their way out of a hole and making the audience mm. like them again. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, sure. It's a victory. So I will say, Jason, we had dug ourselves into a conversational hole. But we dug out. But we got it out, though. Yes, very well. Right. Skillfully done. I think a I, great I conversation. I think yeah. a great conversation in last half hour. I agree. So we're now we're joined by the great Tom Nichols, writer and author. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Hi, Lee. Hi, Jason. Oh, I'm fine, thanks. 
Yeah. Wonderful to have you back, Tom. Yeah. Good to be back. So, Tom, you're in one of the states that I most expect shenanigans this election day from. Congratulations. It's not your <laughs> fault. But no, do you expect sh- shenanigans in Pennsylvania? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to go the way it's been predicted. Uh, shenanigans. Uh, you know, I've been working the polls all day uh, as a committee person. I've been handing out leaflets, and it's been really, really interesting to uh, to see people come in. I mean, families, people are bringing their babies and, and everything, and it's been quite continuous, a continuous stream of people. And, in fact, after this chat, I'm due to go back over and when we close off, but I was just kind of amazed at the the willingness of people to accept the Republican sample ballot, for instance, there was a a kind of a uh, curiosity and a kind of a change in in attitude a little bit. Um, this is a highly progressive neighborhood, and um, although today I must say I did get two obscenities thrown at me when I told them that I was handing them the uh, Republican ballot, but of course you have to take the high road and you can't say anything in return. I almost slipped once though. Um, Shenanigans, well, you're probably right. I mean, what did Lincoln Steffen say about Philadelphia? Uh, corrupt and content. I think there will be shenanigans, but I don't think it's going to take all week to find out the results of the Senate race, for instance. Um, that's what I... Well, also, because you're monitoring those things, Tom, I hate to break to you, but babies are too young to vote. I'm not sure why you're letting them. You said people are bringing the babies in. I'll bet they vote all Democratic. Well, yeah. you know, one thing one thing about this city and about this neighborhood is that is that Republicans and Democrats really get along. We may disagree on the issues, but while our different committee people are out there, we're kibitzing and talking and telling jokes and um I mean, it's it's you know kind of amazing. At one point, abortion was brought up, and the uh, female ward leader, you know, did the usual thing: "My body, my choice." I jumped in and said, "But yes, but it's not really your body. There's another body in your body that complicates the issue." And so there were heated, episodic things. But we managed to uh, get over that, and so, uh, and I've been asking several people what they thought the results of the election would be. Uh, my fellow committee person, for instance, thinks that Fetterman will win because he's managed to convince a lot of rustic-style Philadelphians that because he wears a hoodie, he's one of the people. You see, and so I mean things like this. So. Um, but um, I don't know. Um, ask me a question, Lee. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, so well, I, what, but wait, what, I have a question. What? Yeah. You, you well, mentioned. What, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Lee. But t- t- Tom had mentioned that he was giving people the Republican ballot. What, what did you mean by that? Elaborate a bit, because they just handed me one paper that had everybody on it. Oh, really? Well. See, we we just we just hand out sample uh, the names of the people who were on the ballot. It's not really a ballot ballot. I shouldn't have said ballot, but it's a it's a 
it's a kind of a reminder uh, before they go into the voting booth um, as to, who, to what names they can expect to see there. And uh, my Democratic comrades do it too, you know. So it's uh, we have this competition, you know. People walk towards us down the sidewalk. I'm usually the first one to approach them and say, um, "Would you like a Republican a sample ballot?" I always call it a sample ballot, and then. Uh, the Democratic committee person will say, well, would you like the ballot from the winning team? So, you know, I mean, they (laughs) are hand in this area, so you have to give them that. But I was just amazed at how, at how, how willing people were. And sometimes there was obviously a split thing going on among couples. And, Mm. you know, you'd see, you'd see the husband the Democratic ballot, but the wife will go for the Republican. Wow. This is the first time that that I've really seen something different. Something different is happening. <laughs> and I don't know whether it's going to affect the results. I mean, maybe it'll still be like before the election. You know, the same numbers will, will, will mean that the House is uh, Democratic and and the Senate is, you know, mostly, uh, uh, I don't know. But, um, but I have noticed a change. I, I was expecting a lot more, like, anger and vehemence. In fact, a, um, a woman walked in with a full, I mean, outfit filled with feminist slogans, and all in, like, black. And, and you know, and so I, I just went up to her and smiled and said, would you like a Republican sample ballot? And she took it. Uh, mm. She didn't smack me. She didn't scowl. Um, mm. So um, I don't know what this means, but but there's something different happening, definitely. Now, so Jason, do you agree with me that as women get older and have kids, abortion becomes less of an issue for them? Because if you're a 45 year old woman who's had a bunch of kids, first off you can't really get pregnant. It's unlikely. So abortion's not going to be a practical issue for you. And even if you're younger, if you've had a couple kids, you're unlikely to abort the next kid you get pregnant with. What do you think, Jason? Well, I mean, any question like this, I can only answer based on my experience in talking with women who I know, because obviously I'm not a woman, although we should ask a biologist. And the thing that I'm seeing is that that's incorrect. They're worried about their daughters, and they're still, if they supported abortion when they were pregnancy age, they still do. That's my experience. That's a, that's a good point, Jason. And uh, yeah. explain some of that. What I've noticed is there are people I know, women who are pro-life now, who have had right. abortions earlier in life. Right. And they regret it. Yeah. And regret it, right? Yeah, I and know. I know fact, one person in that category. Yes. Yeah. So, Tom, the thing I want to ask you about specifically is what's going on with the court challenges that Fetterman's made. My understanding is that basically a judge ruled something, and Fetterman is challenging that ruling. What's going on with that, Tom? Do you know much about that? This is about the the so-called. Uh 
what do they call it, the, the uh, poll uh, reconciliation votes uh, to, to flag double voters who walk in with mail-in ballots and then try to vote in the machines as well. I, I'm yeah. aware that, okay, so, um, well, this is going to, you know, this is the first time that I've even heard of this, and uh, it's a complicating, puzzling factor. Uh, you know, but but this all started in 2020 with the whole mail-in ballot thing, and I guess I always sensed that this is going to lead to, to decades of trouble. Um we didn't used to have this kind of trouble on election day where we had to wait five days. I mean, once in a while you did, but now it's becoming, it's becoming normalized. And, uh, de rigueur. Yeah. And, uh, I just hate the fact that it's becoming normal now that you have to wait a week to, to get the results of a certain election. Um, that's the new normal, Tom. I know. Uh, <laughs> to be the new normal. This is the point. Uh, that that whole mail-in thing was supposed to be temporary. But of course, whenever they say that, you just have to sort of wink and, uh, you know, raise an eyebrow. Uh, but is so the new normal one of these Orwellian phrases that it's absolutely abnormal? They're just forcing you to accept abnormality as normal. Yes, absolutely. And there's something great about seeing people coming to the polls in person, in their ragged house coats, in their blue jeans. Uh, yeah. You know, teething children and everything. It's it's right. interesting. Sandals. Yeah. Your neighbors, people you would never otherwise talk to, and um, there's something really important about that. Um, so, um, this will be a very very interesting election. You know. Um, but now, so we'll, we'll talk more about the new normal in a second, because I you recently found a n newspaper that's very old. So let's talk about how journalism has changed. But before we do that, I want to play another clip because we are getting election problems around the country. Let's go to this Detroit clip, please. Command Central, hit it. school here in Detroit. Uh, they're voting. There you go. We did get a little problem. Some people who did vote here say uh, they were, uh, when they showed up to vote in person, that they had already voted absentee. Not the case. Election officials in Detroit, they're aware of the problem. They are encouraging officials to use the hard copy voter list, not the electronic lists. And they say that anyone who shows up will be allowed to vote. Polls close, 8 o'clock. All through the state. So let me point out that also, I don't have the clip, but Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, I had a clip where she was talking about some entitlement program she's doing for women, but she didn't call them women. She called them people who have periods. Now, I'll oh just say this. Period? If, <laughs> Yes, I'm deadly serious. She referred to them as people who have periods. And what about menopausal trans, women? If you're transsexual and you're bleeding, something's gone wrong. This is true. That's not a period. No, this is this is really pathetic. Um, wow. You know, yeah. I I was talking with a lot of Democrats about uh, 
uh, this whole gender thing and the pronoun thing, and they all hate it. They uh, they all told me today that that they hate this development in their party, and it's the one thing I disagree with. They said, and they they just shook their head, but they think it's just all going to go away. Like um, so, <laughs> um, but I hadn't heard that about the governor. That's 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 um, kind of distressing. Yeah, it's very distressing. And did you get any sense of why they're bothered by it, aside from the obvious reasons that it's nuts? Well, I well I talked with. Uh, there are two brothers in my neighborhood. One is a a big Democratic lawyer, and his brother is a big Republican ward leader. Now, um, I like I like both of them, but in different ways. So I met the uh, Democratic brother. He came in to vote. And he's talking about his son, who is in prep school. And, of course, his son takes after his father. He's fairly um, liberal, I guess, for a uh, 16- or 17-year-old. But he's now in a suburban conservative prep school. And uh, his father told me that he says, Dad, these guys all have different opinions than my urban semi-prep school experience. And, And his father just kind of laughed about it and said, yes, when he was in the city school, it was all about what gender are you this week? And now it's something different. So (laughs) this has really hit the schools, high schools. How how does the father find that funny, though? Well, because uh, he didn't find it funny, funny. He, He found it discouraging, and he just kind of shook his head like, I wish this development would go away. I wish this were not happening. Um, otherwise, we would have a great party here, uh, uh. a.k.a. the Democrats. So it's, it's, um, uh, it, is, it is a problem. On, on the other hand, I got into an argument with the 81-year-old Democratic ward leader, who is female, and she mm. is very much of a feminist and, you know, she could have been a 26-year-old woman arguing in favor of abortion. That's how, how staunch she was. Um, but, uh, you know, regarding your point about abortion being an issue for mainly younger women, there were, there, you know, there, there were quite a few younger women in their 20s who um, I approached with my little leaflet. They, uh, I knew why they turned their faces away, and it was all about abortion. Uh, there were quite of them who showed up at the polls. It's too bad yeah. if, if some of these people focused as much attention on personal responsibility as they did on this unbridled desire to murder hypothetical children, maybe we wouldn't need so many abortions. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the wide world of sexuality, right? I mean, there are yeah. ways to, to, to pay homage to the pleasure gods. And you don't always have to go down that route where you become pregnant. Um, yeah. Um, it goes by that crass saying, but I'm not going to say it here. Um, <clears throat> close your legs, I guess. So, Walter would say. <laughs> I think she. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so, Tom, talk about that newspaper you found. When was it from? And what did you learn? It was from 18, 1829. Wow. And um, 
a neighbor gave it to me. He uh, he has since died. He, he lived a couple of blocks away. Um, interesting man. Uh, always said hello to me. He would follow my newspaper columns and. One day, I guess he thought I would be interested in it, and he presented it to me. It was so well-preserved, I could not believe it. 1829 is a heartbeat away from the 1700s. And yes. It, out of the, its encasement, the paper did not fall apart. It was obviously quality paper. I mean, I, I have a paper here from my great-aunt, uh, something about FDR, World War II, and everything. That paper, as soon as you touch it, another bit of it crumbles to the ground. Uh, so yes. Whenever they made the American Senatal, that was the name of this paper, um, it's very, very sturdy. And, you know, reading it was fascinating. I think I wrote about the one ads, um, <clears throat> ads for employment and so forth and so on. They kind of reminded me of the way one ads were, I think, in the late 60s when I was a teenager looking for a job. You know, they would specify that they wanted a woman or, uh, you know, things that you can't do now. Or, or a- Yeah, so one thing, you, you mentioned 1829, was it? Yes, yeah. So if you think about that, that's less than 20 years from the War of 1812, which is another war against the British, less than 20 years. Yeah. So it really is old America. It is very, 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 very old America. Um, And so I don't know how much the paper is worth, if anything. Um, But, you know, but, but actually... I kept, I kept, I kept looking for more and more interesting items, and I guess a part of me was disappointed that it wasn't more interesting than it was. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, which is an odd slow news day in 1829, perhaps. Like, <laughs> really slow news day. Yeah. So, so did, did you learn anything about the way journalism has changed? Did they cover the boring stuff in in a different way? Well, the writing style is certainly kind of unwieldy and a little on the sloppy side. Uh, parts of the language structure are kind of archaic. Um, but the, the mentality, that's the thing that I noticed. The so-and-so announces that he's going to run for mayor, so he just puts an ad in the paper, or he puts a two-bit column. I hereby announce that I am a candidate for a mayor. And just this freewheeling, what? All you have to do is like stand up on a soapbox and a <laughs> candidate without a billion dollars behind you. Right. So that's like a wonderful thing. Uh, so, you know, that it, it, it was, it like really showed, uh, to me, it did, at least this edition, how open the country was or the government was to new blood. And, uh, you know, because it really had a soapbox in a park aspect to it. Um, and actually, we were talking about the way society is changing currently. Have you ever looked at old Sears robot catalogs from like the 19th century? Because I used to find that fascinating to look at old Sears mail order catalogs. You ever done it, Jason or Tom? 
Uh, I can't say that I, I remember seeing Sears catalogs like in the late 70s and early 80s, but I, I haven't since then. I remember the Sears robot catalog from the 70s when, this is another aspect, when they were a little uh, salacious. I mean, uh, you know, when they did underwear ads, for, for instance, oh, wow. buffing over anything, everything was like realistic. That's what I. <laughs> what this is in a this is in a catalog, you know. Now now you wouldn't see that. Everything is protected and kind of uh, clouded over. Um, lawsuits. Yeah, yeah, lawsuits. Um, so what's interesting about the 19th century ones is a lot of people were moving west. A lot of people were moving from the east coast to the west coast to look for gold or whatever, and so. You had people in wagon trains at that time. And these mail order catalogs really made people who lived on the outskirts of the country. It's almost like Amazon today. Huh. If you live in a small town, Amazon can bring you anything. Does that make sense? So if you want a Japanese kimono and you live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and there's no kimono shop, because there's not. I can get it on Amazon. <laughs> well, the Sears catalog was the same way. When you were living in, let's say, South Dakota, and nothing was by you, you could still get anything you could get in New York or Chicago through the Sears catalog. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Wagon train. You had to go out in the middle of the road and look for the wagon train. Yeah. <clears throat> that makes sense. And the... These catalogs also used to carry houses. You could buy a yeah. house from Sears. Right. Yeah, I do know that. Fascinating thing of all the the uh, the Sears houses. Um, There's some of them are still around, built like people living in them. Yeah. Y yes, exactly. Yeah, they built them sturdy. So, uh, we're we're talking before Tom. What changes do you like? That modern times have brought. Well, I like I like computers. I like um, uh, you know the fact that you can email people. Um, I like textings. I think communication has improved, although it has its its downside and dangers. Social media, etc. Other than that, um, um, hmm, I guess certainly this radio show we couldn't do without computers so it's brought us together in that sense right i mean like any technology when when used to benefit it's great but if abused or used to someone's detriment not so good and you can also get a link to this radio show one day later or several hours later although right try to process that link sometimes you get a notification on facebook that'll say we can't right it's like Russian connected or something. Yeah, so, they don't like that. So, so let me ask you then, reverse form. Same question actually, but in reverse, what did you see in the 1829 paper that you kind of felt nostalgic for? That you think we've lost that they had in 1829, but we don't have. Tom, I just liked the honesty and the help wanted ads. The fact that. That somebody, if they they wanted, um, if they wanted only a man, for uh, and you know they could just say that they wanted 
a man of a certain age or um, they wanted somebody who was sober because I've seen ads that, that, that say that you should be a sober gentleman. Uh, apparently, a lot of drunks were applying for jobs. Wow. <laughs> Sobriety was a big thing, and uh, that, was, that was interesting. Uh, yeah. And, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had the paper in front of me. It's, it's, it's somewhere in my archives now, so I, I can't pull it out and just read stuff to you, but, um, I wish I, um, I could do that. But you got the sense that, because if you're like, and I assume that people asking for young silver men, it was appropriate, like, right. like they want someone doing physical work. Does that make sense, Jason? If you're, if you're, yeah, yeah. forming a wagon train to go out to Sioux City with those catalogs, um, you're, you're not likely to get a Mennonite housewife, right? So that, you know, most of the vagabond travelers were, were male, um, and probably drunk. <laughs> and, and, and probably drunk, and a few Annie Oakleys too, when they weren't shooting on top of their horses or whatever. Yeah, it's funny well, to and, think and, that was two hundred years ago. It's like a long time ago. Yeah, and what gender was Annie Oakley? There's hundred fifty-seven choices. So we need, you know, we need a biologist. Don't jump on yeah. that. But Tom, fascinating conversation as usual, and tell me. What's your latest piece, and where can people find it? Tom Nichols. Oh, my last piece is on Larry Krasner and about a day and a half ago. Okay. And do you think, we're out of time now, but do you think Krasner is going to be replaced at any possibility, Tom? Yes or no? No, not anytime soon. He has too many friends and allies. Yeah. Okay, that's a good way of putting it. Tom Nichols, great, fascinating conversation. And Jason, great conversation with you, buddy. We got into a lot of neat stuff. And tomorrow, we did. we'll get the results of the election, I think. It could be several days, and that's stupid. But I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Backstory.